Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, the host of this podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here. A bit about me, I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur and investor who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. The Dear 20-something podcast started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful changemakers they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts, we're here to humanize the whole thing. You'll hear from successful trailblazers who will share the highs and lows of their 20s, and you'll also get words of wisdom from some experts who will speak on a certain topic relevant for 20-somethings. And then sometimes it'll just be me on the mic hosting an episode where I share a recent reflection or story from my own life as I too am navigating this wild decade. We're so happy to have you here. Let's get started. Today on the show, I am so excited to be chatting with Annie Reardon. Annie is the co-founder and co-CEO of Ludo and leads marketing and sales for the company. Annie is a front-end engineer and has been building in the infrastructure and big data space for three years. Fascinated by technological infrastructure and future applications of blockchain, Annie is also passionate about making emerging technology more accessible, particularly for women in underrepresented communities. Before founding Ludo, Annie worked as a front-end software engineer with JP Morgan Chase and previously worked at Influencer. Today, Ludo has raised millions to further the development and expansion of its software. Annie has also been recognized on Crane's 20 in their 20s list and Forbes 30 under 30. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Annie. Hi. Awesome to be on. Thanks for being here. What a cool bio. Thank you. You've got a very interesting background. I was reading too about all the like the AI data stuff you were doing. I'm like, this is very timely. You've got a cool background. Yes. Yes. Well, we were doing AI kind of before it became cool. 100%. Like AI has just been an evolution of big data ML. It's just gotten a lot more buzzy recently and accessible. So 100%. yeah, I started as a software engineer for a big data platform forecasting customer spending habits at JP Morgan. So cool. I can't wait to get into all that. Before we start, we do like to start every show with a fun question. You can take this any direction you want, but what is something new that you've learned in this past week that you can share with our audience? Oh, interesting. And it could be work or personal, whatever you'd like. So this is kind of a blend. I've been kind of looking at like limiting beliefs. And I think in the current age, making money is very different than how we were brought up. So a limiting belief of mine is it's really hard to make a lot of money on the internet. And right now we see the emergence of flip app, TikTok shops, all these different things. And making money and making money on the internet looks really different than it looks like even two years ago. So I'm fascinated by that. And I just really want to dig into how I can equip myself with that in the changing landscape of the digital space and just evaluate my traditional ways of thinking around money and building a business and how to make money on the internet. I love that. Yeah, that's so spot on. I think um, I read this one book called Quit Like a Millionaire. I don't know. Have you ever read that book? No. It's really good. One of the main things they talk about is how in the American dream, we talk about like the white picket fence and buying a home and how that's something that we should all strive for. But when you really crunch the numbers a lot of the time, especially now, like you can't guarantee homes are going to appreciate in value. You can't guarantee there aren't going no. to be these crazy, crazy expenses with fixing up your home that often you're better off actually renting and putting that extra capital into other asset classes and other investments. Yeah. 
And it was this like, like, like you're saying, like this crazy limiting belief of like, oh my God, that's, we all thought the dream is to buy a home and live in the home. Right. But like, maybe that's not the thing. And how can you have passive income sources? How can you yeah. have multiple streams of income? 100%. How, how are you building a platform? So they say like, win customers' hearts before you, you know, win their carts. And so how are you creating a community? How are you creating a brand for yourself? It's really going to be a brand of yourself moving forward on the internet. Let's talk a little bit more about that because I think this is something that you guys are studying a lot. You and I both have taken this on as individuals, building a brand for ourselves. Yeah. What makes you say that? What What are you most excited about? Are there certain things about building a brand for yourself that you feel like people aren't talking about? Tell me more about that being like the future of how you make money on the internet. Okay. So I have a fixation on TikTok shops and what's happening. One of our clients made a million dollars. They're a medium-sized company on TikTok shops in 30 days. You see that Elf Cosmetics, they increased their online sales by 6% last quarter because of relying on TikTok shops. So how is video content and video content platforms, how are you building those platforms beyond the traditional sense that we think of as business. So, you know, for us, even when I started my career, posting regularly on LinkedIn, Twitter, yes, that's a given, but then how are you keeping up with the way the world's changing and how are you creating video content? How are you spinning it to make your brand? Like, we'll talk about this later, but I'm addicted to beauty. You know, I was sitting down with a Gen Z woman who's created an amazing newsletter and audience in New York City. And she said, all I want to see from you is I want to see you doing your makeup routine, giving business advice on how to negotiate for salary. Because I told, I gave her negotiation tactics over coffee. She's 24 years old. And she said, that's all I would want to see from you. Like, you need to be doing that like yesterday. And so I'm just really noodling on like how I can create that video form content in a way that's professional and like intrinsic to my brand. And then, you know, how am I creating these platforms thinking of longevity in mind of how am I evolving my professional and personal brand, you know, where these brands are going to carry with us through our entire careers and how am I getting those skill sets early on and being consistent? Absolutely. I think that's the never ending question, right? How you do that. The one thing I think a lot about too is TikTok is this big question mark. In my mind, obviously, we know it's contributed to so much growth for a lot of the shops and the apps and all that stuff. One of my angel investments, you know, had this insane growth hack on TikTok, number one in the app store, right? Mm. So, you know, we've seen it go crazy, but there's also the question of, you know, like foreign policy and China and all that, if TikTok sticks around. And there's something to be said for like, you build up a following on a certain platform, the platform owns that following. How does it carry from platform to platform? So I don't know if you have any like current thoughts on TikTok. I know you guys will get into later. Obviously, you guys have been building in the blockchain space. So that space is very excited about like, you know, individual ownership and democratizing access to everything and social graphs. But do you have any thoughts on the TikTok thing in particular? Because I think a lot of people are like, should I be getting business advice and doing my makeup? Or should I be opening a shop? Because you hear these crazy numbers. I don't know what, if you have any thoughts on that, but it's something I've been noodling on too. I guess the foreign policy piece is really interesting. I guess right now I'm thinking about just building the skill set, to be honest, no matter what the platform's going to be. But I do think about that. I don't think it's going to change in the next three years, but potentially down the line it could. So I try and do consistency across as many platforms as I can and reuse content. We have a ghostwriter that works for us that is really good at like splicing content and just making it more applicable 
to each content and he writes on my personal and pretty much all my channels. So we just kind of come up with one theme and then we splice it so it's relevant for each audience and each platform. That's huge. Yeah. You know, I think that's actually really great. And an answer that I feel like I don't usually get is like, it's more about building this skill set around video content and figuring out how that fits your brand and not being so platform dependent and spreading it across. So if God forbid something does happen to one of these platforms, like you're okay. Yeah. I'm definitely in the experimental phase of things. I love that. Yeah. And I appreciate your openness with that too. And like having a ghostwriter and thinking about it, like you know, a lot of people tend to be very polished and be like, no, no, it's me. And I'm not thinking about anything. I'm doing it perfectly. Yeah. And I appreciate the transparency. Yeah. So let's get into childhood. Like, obviously now, you know, you have a very technical background. You're now a founder. When you were growing up, did you have any ideas or inklings about what you wanted to do? Was there a TV show you watched that gave you an idea, something your parents did? Walk me through like what you wanted to be when you grew up as a kid. I wanted to be a makeup artist, to be honest. I was addicted to makeup. My mom is such a makeup junkie. She had like growing up, they had like his and her mirrors and like spaces. And my mom had kind of like the star like vanity with all the bulb lights. And she would do her makeup before she would go out. And there was a couch behind her. And I would just sit on the couch and like watch everything she did and like mimic what she was doing. And then when she would go out, I would like get into her makeup and like start like just playing around. And I was like five years old. So I think that's been a passion of mine is like, how how does the outside reflect the inside? And I, I always loved doing makeup. I did it for my friends in college and I just loved like making people feel better. And like, how can I make people feel better about themselves inside and out? has definitely been a theme. Oh, I love that. That's so cool. I feel like I can tell now, like you look so natural, but like so put together. I'm very impressed (laughs) even while we're talking. I've experimented. I've experimented a lot. Like how can I make it look like I don't have any makeup on? Yeah, but I can tell because I'm a girl. I'm like, oh, but you've done it very, very thoughtfully and tastefully. That's amazing. Do you, were you always, were you like really creative? Like, did you like to paint? Did you like to do, so I had uh, another guest on previously who's a plastic surgeon and she also wanted to be a makeup artist when she was younger. And we talked a lot about the overlap between like being a makeup artist and being a plastic surgeon. And it's about just being like obsessed with like symmetry and beauty and the similarities there. And so, you know, and a lot of that also, there's people that like love to paint and they love to like, are there other areas of your life where you feel like that that creativity shows up? Or do you feel like it's mostly just makeup has been like the main outlet? Yeah, I was a front end engineer. So that's everything in the front. So I was a designer too. So I would just create like everything that you've seen with Ludo and our rebrand and the clay and the fun. Like that was all my vision. So I'm definitely super creative. I did art. I had a liberal arts background. So I was always drawing, designing, coding, like beautiful things. I love that. That's so cool. Okay. So you wanted to be a makeup artist. Was there a certain makeup artist or creator that you were like so obsessed with growing up or was it more just generally loving like makeup in the stores? Oh, I would love beauty YouTube videos. I would get stuck in like black holes and I loved like the Vogue get ready with me. I think those were like so fun for me to watch. And I had all these channels that I watched. I don't think there was one in particular. I would kind of jump from each one. Definitely feeling like more inspired by like the Vogue get ready with me kind of vibe, but then how can you lay in some like business fundamentals and do that at the same time? That's what I'm inspired by. 
Yeah, no, those videos are great. I mean, even I, like, I don't really like, I don't really care about makeup that much. I should care about it more. I've tried to force myself in the past couple of years. Yeah. But even I love those videos. There's something so soothing about like watching someone put makeup on. Yeah. So, okay, you want to be a makeup artist. Then you go to college. And from my research, you you majored in consumer psych. Um, yes. Why that major? How did you like it? I mean, it sounds like the best major ever, honestly. Um, and did you still want to be a makeup artist at that point? Walk me through that piece. Or was that more just like a childhood fantasy? Well, I didn't want to go to college. I wanted to start making money on the internet. I like begrudgingly went to school. Okay. Tell me more about this. What kind you want to make money? <laughs> How was it begrudgingly? Give me that story. Okay. So I went to school for a week and I was like, I don't want to do college. Like my mom had her own business selling jewelry and textiles and all these things. And I was like, I just want to start this with her. I'm ready to go. And so I did a compromise with my parents and I took a gap year and traveled and worked actually at a jewelry business and saw firsthand women that were selling online pretty early days to women that were super successful. And I helped them a lot with their online shop and then in person as well and opened new locations. So, and I am a very good student, but I just didn't feel like I thought I was ready to go. I think I was actually. So yes, but then I went and then I was a psychology major and I did it because I wanted a really high GPA and I thought I was going to go to grad school. I wanted to be a programmer and the perfectionism in me held me back. And something that Renee and I say a lot is done is better than perfect. And that's my mantra now. And it's like, even if it's messy, even if you're horrible at it, at least you're growing and at least you're getting closer. And I think that's a piece of advice for younger women is like, don't be afraid to be messy, move away from perfect because Renee went and got a computer science degree. And her motto has always been done is better than perfect. And she went and got that degree. So I think just moving away from perfectionism has been something that I've really focused on as my career evolves. Yeah. And I think it's especially, I mean, not to gender it too much, but I think especially women really struggle with that piece of it. So yeah. tell me more about this gap year. Like, where did you go? I want to hear more about that. Like, so you did one week of college, then you're like, no, no, yeah. I need a sec. My parents were shocked. Where did you go? Yeah, parents were shocked. Okay. I just felt like I was ready to begin working. And I had a mom that had her own small business. I saw a ton of opportunities in my skill set to bring her online. And I ended up doing it for another jewelry business that became massive in Boston. They do, they are incredible now. They're huge. So I, I thought I could do that. And I did do it for another person. And then I took a gap year to Fiji, New Zealand, Australia, and Africa. I made money and then used that money to go take a gap year. Yeah. It's giving me eat, pray, love vibes. <laughs> yeah. it's quite the variety right there. Wow. So the person I was before I took that year was drastically different than the person that exited that. I learned so much about myself. If you had to name like the one thing that was the biggest difference between you before and after, what do you think it was? I chased the big thing. Like I chased the big dream and I wasn't scared of going after what I wanted, even if it would disappoint others. It disappointed my parents that I dropped out of school. I found myself. I did the crazy things and, and found myself through travel. So I wasn't afraid to do the big thing, make the big change, go after what I want and like my desires. 
today I still do it. I live in London, between London and New York. And I, you know, create this lifestyle that is fun, exciting, which is what I had when I was 18 years old when I did this gap year. It's crazy that you had such a deep sense of self and trust in your decision. Like where do you think that comes from? Because I think most 18-year-olds I know not only can't pick a major, don't know what they're doing for their career, but they put that off. The idea of like knowing that you were at that point in time needing space and time to travel, Mm -hmm. figure out who you were. Like where did that sense of self come from? Was that how you were raised? Have you always been that way? How did you have the confidence to make that decision at 18? Yeah, I do believe in like synchronicity. And I did have an experience where – like I did have a realization that death is really imminent. And I thought, you know, I can't do another four years not knowing who I am and doing this rat race again. You know, I was from Boston, which is similar to, you know, New York. It's a really fast-paced environment. I grew up really fast. I There was really high expectations on me academically and sports as well. And I just thought that, four more years of this without knowing truly who I was, was not a great investment. And, you know, I even questioned the investment itself, but I think for me, I've had little like spiritual moments along the way that have like, I'm very reflective. And if I catch them and if I'm in the space to catch them, they definitely guide my path. That's so powerful. I think those moments where you realize death is imminent and life is precious are scary But to take something like that and turn it into like, okay, I'm going to live for today and I'm going to do what I want today and Mm -hmm. not push off is so powerful. And to use that for something positive is amazing. So you took that year. Yeah. You learned so much about yourself. I'm very jealous. (laughs) (laughs) You did that. I'm like, I want to take a gap year now. And then you decided to go back to school. And you also had this realization you wanted to be a programmer. Walk me through the decision to go back to school and like when you also thought – you could like and wanted to do programming? Yeah. So I went back to school. I was a psychology major. You know, I took art, statistics, all these different things that became woven into my story. So statistics, took a lot of statistics classes in that, you know, I worked on a big data platform at JP Morgan. I did a lot of art. I did a lot of design that led my front end work. I was head of the tutoring department at my school, and I was also academic chair of my sorority. I was really academically focused and into mentorship. So I managed 200 academic profiles a year of people wanting to, you know, get support for their for their academics. And that was the biggest thing, like that leadership opportunity of mentorship and then kind of like the liberal arts education. That's amazing. What sorority were you in? <laughs> it doesn't exist anymore at my school. Delta, Delta, Delta. I have mixed feelings about sororities, but I was Me glad too, I guess, got Guess what sorority I was in? Which one? Delta, Delta, Delta. Oh, you were? <laughs> Try Delta, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a whole thing. You lived in your sorority. You had leadership positions. Yeah. I was the academic chair for two years. Wild. Mm-hmm. Wait, we're sisters. I know. That's I haven't thought about it and I threw out all my shirts. Like I haven't thought about it in a long oh, time. Same. <laughs> same. I like low-key like disaffiliated or whatever my senior year, but yeah, I have mixed reviews for sure. Mixed reviews on my end as well, but there's a lot of good things that came out of it. Yeah. But yeah. So, okay. So you got this leadership opportunity. You were doing a lot of academics. Mm-hmm. You were taking art. You're taking statistics. Was your, it sounds like also, which you don't hear often from people that in college you were really trying to take 
all kinds of classes, even outside of psych. Like you were really trying to, you know, push yourself to think about what other things you could be excited about separate from wanting to get a great GPA. Yeah. Was that your mindset? Like, can I just take like a variety of things that I just find interesting? Yeah. I was like, how can I? Okay. So so I'm like, okay, well, I'm here. (laughs) Like we got me here. I'm going to take advantage of everything. I'm going to take all the classes I want to take. I had classes that just like blew my mind away, you know, were insane. And then I traveled abroad. I was like, if I'm going to pay for a semester, I'm going to pay for it somewhere else because like this is so fun. So I really made a margarita out of the experience and just took it to explore and continue to learn more about myself. And I do think, you know, people talk about the liberal arts education. I did think it made me pretty well-rounded because I can write really well, you know, not only now am I a programmer, but I can write and be articulate and have other skill sets that sometimes people that just have straight CS degrees didn't really have writing opportunities to practice their writing and things like that. Yeah, that's huge. It's so, so valuable. So then tell me how you got this job at JP Morgan. And, you know, you were there for a while doing really cool data science before and, and bef- AI before AI was AI. Yeah. How did that job come to be and how did you like it? So another like synchronous moment, I tutored a boy that was not doing well in school. He was almost failing out. This is when you were in college. You were tutoring. This was when I was in college. I was head of the mentoring department, but there was one guy that was on the baseball team. He was not going to make it another semester. So we had to figure out somehow how this kid was going to stay here. And we turned it around. His grades changed so much. He had, you know, a really – different academic plan. It just turned out like he just was not set up in the right classes and things like that. So his mom, he actually sung his praises to his mom and his mom was pretty high up at JP Morgan. And he was like, this woman has changed my life. And her mom was like, I have an open analyst position for our class. Let me take her in. And like, she wants to do technology. So I applied. The mom told me every person I was going to meet with briefed me through everything for a week. I did two super days of just like tons of interviews. And the mom said, you're going to speak to this person. Make sure to say these three points. They're going to ask you these questions. Make sure you can do this mental math or whatever it was. So I knew I was like really primed going into these interviews. And I got a verbal offer my last interview. Unreal. How did you do the technical chops for them to let you in? If with a consumer psych degree, you obviously had taken all these other interesting classes, but like how were you able to convince them to like let you in basically with an engineering role, you know? Well, it was their internal consulting team. So it was basically like the BCG for technology, like digital. It's like BCG's digital technology office. And they were put on tasks of really hard technical problems within the technology organization that needed to be fixed. Workforces need to work or task forces need to be set up and fix them. And there were like short, really defined projects and you would do them and, and move on. And so I positioned myself as a generalist and that I'm just a really solid candidate that is going to learn really fast and do whatever it takes. And really curious about technology and, and have always been. And just, I came off super capable and that I was just going to make everyone's life so much easier and do whatever task was given to me, even if it was horrible. Like 
95% of what I did was like horrible and like just like admin, (laughs) not admin, but it was like I was creating decks and presentations and I was doing all the entry level things, but I was like, and I'm here for it. And so I got the job and then I became increasingly more technical to the point where I was teaching myself how to code at night. And then within year one, I was like coding and I, I gave a lot of my weekends and nights to learning how to code and then decided to apply to JP Morgan's engineering school and did that for six months and learned how to code. I got my salary on the back end, which was great. I didn't have to like leave and do a boot camp and pay for it myself and not get a salary. It was all within JP Morgan. I like took advantage of every resource that I had. And then I was put on a development team for over three years and was coding. And that's where I met my co-founder. Good for you for going after it. I mean, I think so many people, I talk to so many people who say, I think one day I want to learn how to code. I think I want to do one of those boot camps. I think whatever. But you were just like within a year, like you said, just doing it and going for it. Yeah. How did you and Renee meet? You met obviously at JP Morgan, but was there like some funny chance encounter? Were you both in, you know, just coding on the same project? Like how did you two get to know each other? We did women in technology. So there was like an organization we were both the youngest on in women in technology, she was on, <laughs> she was on the events team. So she was like in charge of like getting supplies, creating supplies, operations. And like, it's very fitting for her. And I did communication. So I did like all the like flyers, convinced every girl to sign up, sent the emails. It was very us, our roles in that. So that's how we initially met. And then I got placed on an engineering team. I didn't have much say and where I was going to go after I did the program. It was really kind of up to the organization. And I just learned how to code. It's so exciting. I wanted to be like on the sexy chat AI assist, like mobile banking. I wanted that. I was put on a big data platform and it was great. It was really around the hygiene and the performance of our products. So I was like a little bit bummed. But then I remember like I was getting coffee and it was like maybe my first or second day and I looked over and I knew I wanted to start a company and I I saw Renee and I was like, I think she's the person that would be my business partner. And even if I hate this experience, I'm going to have her and that might be the whole goal of doing this. Like that might be the whole purpose. So like I knowingly knew that I was evaluating her to like as someone to start a business with because I had had time with her in the women in technology and and heard reviews that she was like the best coder in her analyst class. And so I knew she was very good and could teach me a lot. I love too this idea that like, I always talk about how out of like every experience, every event you go to, everything, as long as you make one valuable connection, yeah, and like it's so worth it. Like this idea you were saying about how like, if nothing else, if all I get out of this is like Renee as like a potential business partner, like that's a value. Yeah. So it's like, now you guys have started this company, you know, we can, we're going to get into it, but all else aside, that was worth it in and of itself mm-hmm. to have her come out of it. And I think more people need to think about that. It doesn't need to be like a million and one things you get out of every experience or every conference you go to. It can really just be like one thing that changes your life, quite honestly. Yeah. I don't know where that thought came from, but I was like, well, that might be the best thing that comes out of this, this platform. Yeah. So then you're at JP Morgan for several years. At some point you decide to leave. And I know you had a couple like entrepreneur and residence gigs. Mm-hmm. 
I imagine, to just kind of like ideate on this idea. When did the idea for what was once called Glow Labs, now called Ludo, when did that like come to you? And and how did that, you know, how did you guys start building and ideating on that during, it sounds like from like 2021-ish, because you started in 2022. Mm-hmm. Walk me through sort of the, those like early days of the company. Yeah. So I was at JP. We decided on like a certain amount we were going to save up to leave. So I hit that number and I was really scared to leave. There was a lot, you know, they give like fertility benefits, they give healthcare, they give like everything under the sun. And so I was really, I didn't know what kind of existed on the other side and how far I was away from capital. And we did it. I left a little bit before her and the boyfriend I had at the time was like the one that kind of gave me the nudge. And he was just like, where's your heart? And my heart was really (laughs) the farthest thing from corporate. And I just decided right there in that dinner that I was going to do it within the next two weeks. And did you have the idea yet for Glow Labs or was it more just like you knew you wanted to start something with Renee? Yeah. Yeah. We had ideated it. We've been building and hacking things on the side and the whole nine. So yeah, we started that and it was based on like a personal problem for booking, but also we were in the pandemic and you know, salons were shut down. So it was a little bit hard to launch that kind of business. And B2B or B2C is extremely hard. You know, we had, we saw how expensive it was to get customers, how hard it was to keep those expensive customers. And we had hundreds of salons on thousands of downloads, but at the same time, emerging technology was happening. It was so exciting. I think being software engineers, we wanted to be building on the forefront of technology. And that was so exciting for us, like emerging technology, AI, blockchain, Web3, like it was going crazy. We were flipping NFTs on the side. We were making money. We had a shared wallet. We had an NFT project that we launched. And and there was just like so many things flying around and we were building and it was exciting. 2021 was a good time. (laughs) It was a great time. It was like, it was nothing like it. So yeah, we were having fun for sure. That's amazing. Tell everyone about what you guys do. I mean, obviously the company's continued to evolve, but like what what do you do at Ludo? What's the what's the business model and why do you guys exist? So loyalty has been really transactional and linear to date. It's just been based on purchases and points and the digital landscape, as we talked about, is totally changing. A customer is interacting with your brand on average across four different channels and they're not being rewarded for that and it's not being tracked by the customer by the company and we're operating in a cookie-less world we have less and less data on our customers to target our prospective customers and our existing ones and create hyper personalized experiences so we created uh, ludo which is the next generation of loyalty rewards we capture a lot more data online and offline of your customer. So brands are omni-channel. They're in Sephora, they're in Ulta, they're in Target, and then they're also have their D2C channel, and then they have their social and TikTok and all these things. So we capture all these different touch points and create a holistic loyalty reward score, which shows the value of each customer to you to drive more sales and increase retention. It's awesome. It's really important. Because like you said, we're getting more and more cookie lists and we all know about the iOS changes and how hard Facebook ads are. And, you know, if you're in the marketing world, even in the slightest, you know, things have only gotten more expensive and uh, harder to track. Yeah. And so I think to provide a solution. Paid marketing isn't working. It doesn't work at all now. Yeah. Um, and some businesses have died in the past couple of years because of it, because they used to pay their way. To yeah. High revenue. Exactly. Years. So it's really well well positioned. What led to the name change as well? I knew you guys as Glow Labs mm-hmm. forever. And then I saw Ludo and I went, hold on a sec. So wh- why why the name change? 
we felt like so we happened to be, I and when I described Ludo, Ludo, we happened to be on the blockchain, which allows us to get way more data um, and have better results. So you could have interoperability between different brands. Uh, fraud is a really big problem in loyalty. It's increasing eighty nine percent year over year, especially for these big brands. But we were Glow Labs, and Labs is very crypto, and we did not want to be leading crypto first. Our colors were also purple, black, dark, which were very like on trend in 2022 and and, and kind of when this emerging technology space happened. And we didn't think it was relevant or inviting. And we had a lot of sales calls and we really understood like our customers don't care about the blockchain. They just care that they're on the best infrastructure that's going to give them the results. So we changed to Ludo, which means play in Latin. So we're a plug and play solution, super easy to use, no code. And uh, our colors are light, bright, inviting. And kind of I was inspired by Sweetgreen, Cash App, which I thought was very, you know, playful, Gen Z and wise, which is professional and still, you know, a software company. So those were the three that I was inspired by. And then we used clay and fun texture. I love texture to create the whole brand. I love it. I think what you said too about the blockchain being sort of this like extra layer that you guys are using as a technology, but it's not like at the forefront. It just happens to be an edge um, is really important. And a lot of people would argue that's sort of like the next wave of Web3, right? Is like, it's sort of, you kind of don't really know it's there, but it's there. Exactly. Um, that's so I don't know mean. how you think about that now, but it sounds like that's your your focus these days. Is like we just have an amazing software solution that happens to be on the blockchain, but it's the software solution that we're selling. They don't really necessarily care as much how you're incorporating the blockchain. They just know that it's there. No, yeah, we're working with brands on Shopify, big enterprise brands, um, in like the lifestyle, beauty, CPG space, and they don't care. I love it. What are you most excited about in like the next six months to a year with the brand? Is there anything that you're like, oh, I can't wait for the world to see this, or I'm really hoping we hit certain numbers or reach certain brands or what, what's what's on deck for you guys? I am really, I'm fresh off a trip from LA and San Francisco where I was meeting with a ton of beauty brands. And the number one question was like, how can you make me go viral on TikTok? So kind of like create that audience and how can you make me sell out on TikTok shops. They see Elf Cosmetics as definitely a forerunner and innovator, and they went all in on TikTok shops last quarter. And they just want the playbook of how to do that, how to keep up with you know, what's shifting for 2024. We're going to see Black Friday look so different than before. You know, Shoppers are starting way earlier. And it's an opportunity for these brands to really capture their entire addressable market and top of funnel so that they can better target them throughout the year. So we're doing a lot of data work for um, Black Friday. I'm excited about that and then excited for TikTok shops moving forward. I love it. It's cool to hear you talk a lot about TikTok shops. I think it's something I need to spend more time looking into. Yeah. I'm in the experimental phase too. Like I'm just like creating my profile to learn and like- 100%. You know, it's all it's all for just self- teaching. Yeah. And it's also changing all the time, right? That's the beauty of algorithms. So it's like when you feel like you've cracked it, it changes. So you have to keep having that mindset. Exactly. I did want to ask you just about like being a founder and like that lifestyle. How are you enjoying it? I mean, it's really hard. How is the founder life going these days? And choosing to be a founder, right? Like in this market, it's, it's hard. Things have changed a lot in the past couple of years. 
How has that role been for you? I enjoy it. I think I was a little bit overwhelmed in the beginning of like, I'm getting so many emails. I have so many people reporting to me. Uh, I have so many meetings. How do I schedule my time? How do I spend my time? But I, you know, have an incredible executive coach and have just really focused on like, how do we make me the the best version of myself? Like, mentally, physically, and then like my day. I read a really great book. It's like super quick, Eat That Frog. And it's like how to spend, you know, your time on the 20% of things that will drive revenue to your business. And a lot of like 80% of the stuff we do doesn't actually move the needle for our business. So just like being hyper-focused on that, I'm working on. I think because I'm in London a lot of the time, I have my mornings before the US logs on to like really put my head down and get everything I need done. It does mean I work a little bit later into the night, but it's a really, really nice schedule. Sounds amazing. I I really am dying to go to London, by the way. Have you been? I've been. I actually spent like uh, a summer at Oxford randomly. Oh, yeah. Um, which is outside London, obviously, but yeah. I'm obsessed with London. Yeah. And now that I live in New York, I want to go visit. So easy. Why'd you pick London? I'm so curious. Our whole engineering team is based in India actually. So, and then my business partner's in Paris and it's a four hour time difference between Paris to India. So she can really run on the same schedule as the engineering team. So that was kind of, it was kind of more to really strategically build out our engineering team. But I also spent a lot of time in New York. So I would say like more between the two of New York and LA. Oh, sorry. And London. I, I like LA too. I've been liking LA more recently. I love LA. Maybe I want LA to be a part of it too. Yeah. It's like subconsciously coming out right now. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Well, I could keep asking you questions all day. I want to be mindful of your time. Mm-hmm. I do have one final question for you. Mm-hmm. We asked this of all our guests. If there's one piece of advice that you could give to every 20 something, what is that piece of advice that you would give them? So I have two. I think you're either learning or you're earning. And if you find yourself not doing either, you need to get out of your situation. So whenever you find yourself like those aren't happening, you need to get out. I think networking, like I think my superpower is networking and connecting and I do lead sales. So I'm always looking for clients. And I think I made the mistake of networking a lot vertically at JP Morgan and Then as I started my business, I networked horizontally. So I think that's a mistake a lot of women make. They get involved in, you know, we were in the women in technology organization at JP Morgan and we thought we were networking, but really the value comes from outside of your organization and going to these events. And I have always had like a board of directors. So I don't really believe in mentors because I think that's like a very loose kind of contract. I believe in like having a board of directors that are responsible for your career and for like a year or whatever and you say the commitment and ideally they have 20 years of experience like this is senior senior it's not like a girl that's six years older than you and so I think that has always really helped me and I've always evaluated it and now even we have advisors and we shift them every year and a half like you know we're gonna about to be a series a business you know our next set of advisors is gonna need a different skill set we're going to need different things from them than we needed from our seed advisors. So I am really big on like having your board of advisors and creating that, you know, especially years one through three, 
like it's so important that you're making the right moves and you're constantly having other people evaluate your trajectory and provide you with some options of how this could play out. I think I've always been pretty prescriptive of like what my next five years looks like. 100%. And I love this idea of having people cycle out. Yeah. Like I think so often we get stuck in these rhythms. We keep listening to people who give us advice on things they've never been to. Yeah. They've never been like, it's not going to do you any good. Like you said, if you're, you know, let's say you get series C, talk to seed folks. They've never been there. They don't yeah. know. They can't give you that advice. When you say board of directors, are you referring to, I know advisors are related to the company. Board of directors, are you saying your personal board of adv- board of directors for yourself? Personal board of directors. So I always had like in years one and two, I had a board, I called them board of directors. And this is like the best thing I did for myself was I had someone in technology, finance, and marketing. And I naturally grew closer to the tech person because that's the direction I was heading. And every step of the way, I knew I was making the right step. I knew the five steps I could take. I knew how long I needed to be an engineer to then become a founder of a technology organization. I knew I I only really needed two to three years experience before I had my conversation with him. I thought I had to code for another five, 10 years to be able to do it. And that wasn't the case. And he was, you know, he was leading a massive technology organization that was doing exceptionally well, making a ton of money. And I had someone who's in that space telling me what I needed to do. And I went off and did it. And you said to him, I'm making my own personal board of directors. I would love to have you on for the next couple of years to like help me and support me. Or how did, or was this more of like a, like an unspoken thing in your mind? And I'm trying to, I'm trying to drag this out because I think that people are going to listen to this and be like, okay, I want to do it tomorrow. Like, how do I have that conversation? These people are so busy. Like these people are making a lot of money. They're so busy. They have a lot of people under them. That's why I believe you should do people 20 years older, but with that comes limited time. So I recommend a year and that you have really explicit time. So like 30 minutes, once a quarter, I come with the agenda. I manage the follow-ups. I'm going to send you the follow-ups. You hold me accountable. I can meet you at your office on these days. So like the commitment's really clear and like what the outcome is of what you want from it. The reason I don't like mentors is I've had so many girls be like, yeah, this girl's a mentor. And I'm like, one, she's in your organization. Two, she's like four years older than you or like even less. And it's a loose contract and she's not invested in your professional career. So like that doesn't work. So I wanted someone that like had equity and like the Annie corporation that wanted to see me do well, that I could also give them feedback on like someone who's down on the ground and like what their, you know, entry level people are thinking about. It gave them a little bit more business acumen. And that's probably the best thing I did for my career and continue to do is just be surrounded by like people that have done it, have a playbook. I did the same thing for when I raised money. I, I went to the people that were most successful at it, created a playbook and did it in three weeks. So I think just going to the best people that have done it before and having a really clear um, boundary and commitment is how I would recommend it. 100%. I think this is so smart. And also they can then make warm intros for you to your next set of advisors. And like it only compounds, you know? Or get you your next job. He was, they would be like, hey, do you want a job at like BCG at in digital transformation? And I was like, yes, I've done this before. But then it, it ended up not being a part of my path. I wanted to become an engineer, but like they could snap their fingers and make an introduction because I had built that relationship. I had showed them that I'm conscientious, that I'm diligent. I'd kept them up to date with my performance. 
that they would overextend. Brilliant. Annie, thank you so much for like being so honest and open and totally cheering you on at Ludo. How can people find out more about you and your journey, watch all your channels <laughs> of content and learn more about Ludo if they like want to be a customer? Well, don't follow me on TikTok because I'm still learning how to do it. <laughs> but they can throw you some likes. You know, that's not a bad thing. They can tell you what they like. So our handle for Ludo is Ludo Loyalty across all channels. And then I'm Annie Reardon, like pretty much on everything. So you can find me there as well. Perfect. Well, thanks for being here, Annie. This was so fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dear 20-something. If you enjoyed it, you can give us a follow over at Dear 20-something on Instagram or subscribe here or anywhere you get podcasts.